Friends, can you recall a time when you had to pick between two very difficult options? In some ways, it felt like neither one was a complete win. Some phrase this as a lose-lose situation. And in those moments, you pray, and then you pray, and then you pray, and then you fast, and then you consult with others, and then you continue to pray, and you ask God to give you clarity on which path to walk, knowing that both of them have intense consequences. Today's story, as we look at Joseph's seeking of the Lord, we find ourselves realizing this was quite the scenario he found himself in, and he sought the Lord, and we get to learn from him and his actions And I pray that this would be an encouragement for you as you might be in the midst of seeking the Lord regarding a decision that you have. Could be a relationship related or a workplace for sure. That's always a matter of discussion, a career choice or education, whatever it might be. Let's read Matthew 1, starting in verse 18. This story, I think we read this every year in one way or another. And this is the story that we have this morning. Starting verse 18, it says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold... An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until, he had give, until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Okay, so this passage just stands out in so many ways, and the phrase I want to begin with before we even look at the, the, the main focus is this statement about who Jesus is. They shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Do you know Jesus? And has he saved you from your sins? This is who our Jesus is. And if you have not allowed him to be your savior, to wash you clean from your sin, I encourage you to do so. If you are hearing this right now, whether you're in the room or online, it's not a coincidence that you happen to be hearing this story, being reminded of who Jesus Christ is and why he was born on the earth and why he lived and ministered and ultimately why he died and then resurrected from the grave. Friends, if you do not know Jesus, it is as straightforward as all the different gospel accounts in the New Testament that describes you are to believe in Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. I wanna encourage you to do that. And if you have questions on that, please talk with me. You are surrounded by people who have also had questions in their past, doubts, uncertainties, great vexing challenges in their own heart and mind regarding that topic. And they have come to the place where they've said, yes, 
I've not only know Jesus as my savior, but I've surrendered to him. So, so my first question with this is, do you know Jesus? And then secondly, do, do you live like you know Jesus? So for the rest of us who would say, yes, I'm a follower of Christ. You know, I'm your brother in Christ. Uh, we are gonna be in heaven together, worshiping God together. Well, do you live like it? You know Christ, but you know, is that part of your life, particularly this time of year? Well, with that in mind, let's look at three different phrases from this passage that challenge us in our walk with Christ. And the first is this, it's in verse 18. It's this phrase, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. This is setting the stage for what we're about to read. But this phrase jumps off the page to me as I recognize that Christ was born. Now you're like, well of course he was, right? That's what we celebrate at Christmas. But pause for a moment, you know, pause in the midst of the, the craziness of the holiday season to just recognize he, our God was literally born. Our, our God was man on earth. And he didn't just appear as a man, but he went the distance by starting in the womb and then being nursed by his mom, being instructed as a, as a little kid by his dad. And what kind of king of kings yields to this frail authority? Jesus, at this moment in his humanity, he was born and was a little kid. The God-man, Jesus, fully God, fully man. God didn't wind us up like an old clock and then go distant and hide away. He was present. He met us in our need. And in our darkness, he became us. There's an old creed that describes this. I'm gonna read a portion of it for us this morning. And I use this one. It's called the Athanasian Creed. And I use this because this was specifically written to address the incarnation of Jesus Christ and that he was fully God and fully man. Because at the time, this was like 300, 400 uh, AD. At the time, there was a lot of uh, uncertainty. There was a lot of theology still being forged. And there was a growing group of people who said maybe he was like a like a superhuman, uh, and, and they elevated his humanity. Uh, others kind of split him up and said he's like 50-50, you know, hybrid person, uh, half God, half man, 50%, as opposed to, say, 100% each way. And so this creed outlines it, and I'm gonna read this for us. I have the words on the screen. It's, it's got, you know, kind of that archaic language to it, and I, I just find it to be such a unique portrayal of this doctrine, particularly now that it's been around for about 1,600 years. It says this, but it is necessary for eternal salvation that one also believe in the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ faithfully. The incarnation is the, the uh, G, God becoming man uh, you know, at his birth. Now this is the true faith that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, is both God and human equally. He is God from the essence of the Father, begotten before time. And he is human from the essence of his mother, born in time. That's, like, that's crazy, right? You have both before time, because Jesus has always existed. He is God. And then you also have he was literally born within time. You're like, all right. I don't understand it. I just... Just know what scripture says. Completely God, completely human, with a rational soul and human flesh, equal to the Father as regards to divinity, less equal or less than the Father as regards to humanity. Although he is God and human, 
yet Christ is not two, but one. He is one, however, not by his divinity being turned into flesh. Uh, this would be um, uh, often described as modalism, where you would take a different mode, take on a different appearance. Uh, that's not what happened. It says this way, but by God's taking humanity to himself. He is one, certainly not by the blending of his essence. Again, not so much uh, 50-50, 50% one thing, 50% but 100%. So not by the blending of his essence, but by the unity of his person. This is the last line here. For just as one human is both rational soul and flesh, so too the one Christ is both God and human. Okay, so that's, in, that's the Athanasian Creed, and that has been around a long time, uh, other than uh, a couple groups that has been a part of church history for us uh, for all these years. We recognize Jesus actually was born. He, he became, he, he, he's, he's man, huh? Like, what a unique thing. Maybe that just doesn't sound so strange, because that's the only experience that we have. But when we think about Jesus being man, we are reminded that God is with us. He is not distant. We're reminded that God understands human frailty and temptation. You might say, well, hey, you know, he was also God, so hey, you know, like, he was tempted, and he's like, no, Satan, this is what the Bible says, you know, when he's in the desert or when he was tempted uh, at just different, different times. No, it's... it's he experienced the same things we do. So in the same way that you might have to endure and have to hear the lies of the enemy, so did Jesus. Don't, don't assume that was easier for him just because he was God, because he took on complete uh, humanity. He's not disconnected from our experience of human weakness or this earth's brokenness or even how Satan lies and we're, we're living kind of in his sandbox in so many ways. He's controlling so many things. Because Jesus was born, it shows us that physical interaction is important to God. If anyone could have just Zoom called to earth, it would be God. He can do whatever he wants when it comes to communicating, and he could just be like, whatever. But no, Jesus, he walked among us. He slept among us. He breathed our air. He ate our food. And most of all, he spent time with us. He sat with us. Uh, you know, not so much you and I, you know, but with his disciples and with others, sat with them in their pride, sat with them in their despair, uh, sat with the sisters when their brother Lazarus passed away. I mean, he experienced the whole range of stuff that you and I experience. His salvation plan, it was not efficient. It was not clean. It was actually super messy. It was sacrificial. Like a butcher, uh, he, he walked through all that. He led with compassion and mercy and not judgment when the people needed a meal or needed a miracle. So th this, is, this is our Jesus. It's amazing. It, it is so, so, so I, I don't, I, I haven't, you know, I, I won't articulate this well, but sometimes I allow myself to the degree that I can kind of put myself in the shoes of everybody in the Old Testament before Jesus was born. And you can recognize that there's, this, there's Yahweh God and they knew him, they worshiped him, they trusted the word of say Abraham all the way through you know, Isaac and Jacob and Moses and then all the different prophets and they had a lot of it written and, and they saw King David, they saw how he just took out Goliath and all these other things. So they, they saw God's hand, they heard the stories of God's hand 
if they didn't personally see it. And they knew Yahweh was real and that he was worthy of their worship. And, and I read that and most of me says that alone stirs within me a respect, a holy fear to worship God. But then when we get to the New Testament, we, we see something that is a whole nother dynamic of relatability in that our God is not just worthy of worship, but he walked with us. And there's such a, uh, for me, it stirs such uh, a, a, a gratitude that our God knows us, that he, that he loves us in so, so, such a grand way that he saved us in, in, that, in that way, including the birth of Christ. And so it stirs within us this, this recognition that, hey, especially this time of year, just as Jesus lived among us and knew us, knew us in our humanity, understands that component, let us be reminded to live among those around us and not, not just be consumed with what is, uh, say, maybe quick or efficient or what is uh, distant from others, but let's know people. This could be our family members. Pause in the midst of the chaos to just share stories. Uh, to to know a neighbor, we have a neighbor just moved in. We gotta we gotta get to, we're gonna uh, bring them something and, and use the holidays as an extra excuse to to uh, to know them. Bring them some Christmas cookies and all. But get to know the people around you in the way that Christ know, um, demonstrated that personableness. I don't know if that's a word, but I, I think it is. The birth of Jesus is celebrated at Christmas and, and it signals to us that he not only created us, but he knows us. So allow that to kind of simmer within our thoughts here. That's the first major phrase that grabs my attention. The birth of Christ took place in this way. Wow, he was the birth of God, the Messiah. He was actually born. That's <clears throat> just just so uncommon. That's just the second is verse twenty. So I'm gonna kind of skip through some of the guts of the the famous part of the story and just look at this one phrase. But as as he we're talking about Joseph, as Joseph considered these things, as he considered these things, this one story shows us that Joseph had more integrity than probably all of us in the room possibly combined because this guy was inundated with this difficult scenario. I'm not going to call it a lose-lose scenario because, you know, one of the options was literally faithful fatherhood and, uh, you know, to the Son of God. So that's not a lose, but he was in a predicament. If he believes Mary, uh, that's you know, she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Well, then he looks a little bit like a gullible chump to all his friends. And uh, he might look like a lying scoundrel to his family by claiming he wasn't involved. And so he's kind of dealing with that peer pressure and those opinions. If he believes what his eyes are telling him and what society would accept for him to do by, by distancing himself from Mary, well, then he... He, is, uh, he might stand in approval to his friends and family because he's no longer with that 
you know, pregnant young woman and whatever she is getting. But then he's just lost his, his best friend and his love. The woman that he intended to marry and would be with. And then not only would he lose her, but he'd give her over to a, to a, a life of loneliness and shame. So here he is between the two. And in that first scenario I described, that, that, that peer pressure, I, I feel like that doesn't even convey today. Because in some ways, this is a little bit more of a common scenario, uh, not, not a, you know, a holy divine pregnancy. But the scenario is a little more familiar. But we, we don't, because we don't live 2,000 years ago in this culture, we don't recognize how strong the community was among them. I mean, we like we all go to our own houses and and might be working really far away, and so we're a little more spread out relationally. This would have been uh, this would have just absorbed all the all the gossip of the of the town and and the this little this little this little town and all the people and all the relationships and and, and remember Mary and Joseph have. Because they were selected by God, we can recognize that they were upright in their walk with the Lord. And it even says in this moment, in this trial, that Joseph was a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. So here you have this young couple who's been living for the Lord. They're, just, they're, they're probably pretty exemplar in, 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 their, in their lifestyle. And then they get struck with the accusation of promiscuity and of, uh, you know... <clears throat> jumping the gun on all this stuff. And, and they're like, this, that's not what happened. And no one's gonna believe that outside of those who might be uh, attuned to the things of God, like Elizabeth, Mary's relative. And so Joseph is in this moment where he's, he's having quite the, uh, quite the consideration as the word is used here. And he didn't answer it by flipping a coin. He, he probably did what we see all these guys in scripture would do, whether it's David or Daniel or Ezra. In these moments, when there was a, a fork in the road moment, they, they would seek the Lord with prayer. They would read his word and, and fill their heart and their mind with the things of God, not just what society would say. They would fast at Length. I mean, just the role of fasting in the Old Testament was so common and, and quite um, expressive. They would have consulted with trusted, God-fearing individuals, possibly their parents. Although, you know, I don't, I don't know. We don't know about them. Possibly and probably Elizabeth. We even have that recorded in Luke 1 when Mary goes to Elizabeth Possibly Joseph is talking to Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, because he already had a unique experience too in the Holy of Holies. And others might be like, what are you talking about? We just know that, well, literally we didn't say what are you talking about because Zechariah couldn't talk after that scenario. But what are you writing about, Zechariah? And perhaps Joseph is saying, well, I, I, we, had quite, we have quite the, quite the unique scenario too. There's more going on here. So it's a, very likely they consulted trusted, God-fearing individuals. And, and, you know, this reminds me, and I want to encourage you with this, you cannot underestimate the importance of godly counsel, particularly those of you who are parents to your children or grandparents to your, to your grandchildren. They 
will ask you questions. And that is your moment not to just give them some dumb answer, but to give godly counsel, thoughtful counsel. Uh, think of James 1. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. Well, be slow to speak. Give, give God-based counsel. And you have the track record to back it up where you can say, yeah, I know a lot of people will go this route, but God tells us to trust him. And I can tell you how I've trusted him in those moments, and I can tell you how I didn't. And when I trusted him, this was the outcome. And when I, when I chose not to trust him, this story or that story, this was the outcome. <clears throat> so they would have read scripture, prayed, fasted, consulted, and also waited on the Lord for an answer. As I, I, I walk through all that, well, you know, I, I'm reading into the text with those, those things, but for years, I have always read that phrase, as he considered these things. And I've always, I literally, in my just quickly reading, always just read it as this, he had a conversation with Mary. Mary, you're pregnant, what's going on here? And she's like, oh, it's from God, an angel told me. And he's like, I don't really know. And he goes home, and he thinks about it, and then by the end of the day or the next day, he's considered, okay, he's gonna, you know. It's like, no, no, wait as he considered these things, this would have been a lengthy process. And I, and I match this with, in scripture we see this, particularly even some of the descriptions of Daniel when he had to consider and seek the Lord regarding, I see one of them was this, uh, this dream that I think was Nebuchadnezzar had. And they're seeking the Lord. And then there's these other scenarios in our lives where when you're seeking the Lord, it seems like if it's an easy decision, you know, sometimes you just pray about it and then you make a, make a decision. But if it's difficult, rarely to a difficult scenario do you have a quick answer. Uh, we've experienced that as a church regarding starting as a church, uh, as a church congregation purchasing this facility. Uh, we experience this kind of internally when it comes to hiring uh, our team, uh, when it comes to uh, eldership and the and the time of prayer given to that. I mean, all these things, right? So we pray through difficult things. It is likely that Joseph did as well. Well, he did not have an answer that was quick. And so God met him in the midst of his dream. And I think that also shows us how much he sought the Lord because often for us, we will um, we'll seek the Lord and we might even want a quick answer. We might want an answer and we'll say, Lord, give me a dream tonight, right? You have a scenario. Lord, can you give me a dream tonight? It's like, dude, you don't need a dream about this. This is in the Bible. You know, it literally says to do this. And they're like, oh, yeah. And I think oftentimes in Scripture, we, we might make, um, there's a lot of very clear-cut decisions that we tend to not like what Scripture will say on it, uh, not like what godly counsel says to that. And so then we will want some sort of unique bombastic, supernatural experience. This story reminds us that Joseph had this dream and had this encounter with the angel because he sought the Lord well and full and, and, and to, the, to, the, to the fullest extent he could. And also, the situation was one that was particularly unique given it's the birth of the Messiah. So when was the last time that y y you faced a scenario that you had to diligently seek God because of a life decision you faced. I would encourage you to walk in the steps that Joseph did in which he sought God and he waited on God to give an answer. He was not rash or hasty. 
Uh, if he was, he probably would have made the wrong decision, or possibly he would have made the right decision, but from the wrong reason. And in this case, he makes the right decision, and he makes it for the right reason, despite the fact it would have evoked an onslaught of societal consequence. And this leads us to the, to the fifth verse, or the, 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 the third verse, but it's, it's verse 25. It's the third uh, dis- description that encourages us from his life. It says, he, he knew her not, or Joseph knew Mary not. You know, if there was any couple that could have set aside some self-control and get away with it, it would be them. And, uh, the, you know, the, 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 the accountability of, uh, of pregnancy in the ancient Near East was uh, uh, pretty strong to help a young couple stay pure until they were, until they were married. And you can accurately presume that Joseph and Mary would have heard the lies of the enemy saying, hey, listen, all your friends and neighbors think you guys are liars other than Elizabeth, who's going through her own unique experience with pregnancy in her old age. So she gets it. Zechariah gets it. All these other people, they don't get it. You're like a walking scarlet letter. So if there's, you know, so treat yourself. Uh, You deserve this. Like think about how the enemy lies to you. His script is the same. It always has been. And think about how crafty he was to Adam and Eve in the garden and, uh, and how that took them by surprise. Well, some version of that would have been in their minds too. But they endured through the public scorn. They endured through the uncertainty. They, they endured even through their, uh, their, their timeline. We don't know when they were planning to get married and, and how it would all play out. But that was all, uh, that was different for them uh, in light of all this. And together they remained pure until the proper time. You know, w- one of the values of being together with somebody in a dating relationship or fundamentally being married with somebody who shares your values, if you're a Christ follower, it's wonderful because you have another partner to seek God uh, I was going to say partner in crime. That's what I said. <laughs> but, uh, you know, crime's kind of like, I guess we don't want to, shouldn't really push that. But it's wonderful when you're married to somebody who also loves the Lord. Um, and I'm speaking to those of you who are younger and have yet to be married, right? It's one thing if you're older, we have a lot of people in our church, you're older and you've come to Christ, your husband or your wife hasn't, and you're seeking the Lord and we are working in that journey together as you are waiting on God to change the heart of your spouse. But if you're not married yet, don't marry somebody who's not a believer and you are because this passage even gives us a little bit to, to bring this out. This, and this, this little phrase here about how he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. You know, when one person is, is weak, the other person is strong. When one person's discouraged, the other person can lift you up. When one person's having a tough day, the other person can carry you. And it's one of the beautiful things to s- describe, and it's kind of in any, any healthy marriage, Christian or not. But for us who are Christians, we recognize you get to worship the Lord together and go through experiences together. And this, this passage 
uh, brings that out, brings out that, that reminder for us and that encouragement. And so just as Joseph had integrity during this temptation uh, of, um, and, and this trial and this season, uh, I want us also to live uprightly during what we might encounter. And in many ways, what we might encounter as a trial might be temporary too. Because in this case, I'm describing this, this, this season of pregnancy as a, in part as a trial. Not in all ways. And when I look at a manger scene, I don't look at it with, wow, that was a trial. Um, it's, it's like, wow, that was how Jesus wanted to be born instead of in a castle, in a stable. And there's just wonderful lessons and we'll look at those next week. But in the same way that Joseph and Mary, their, their whole scenario in part was just, it was temporary until finally the birth of Christ and then them being together and being able to start their family in a way that they would want. But in other ways, how they walked in this moment, it, it may have carried for decades with them. For those who were, would eventually grow up, like their peers, some might grow up to go be a Pharisee, uh, grow up and be a Sadducee, uh, grow up and just be kind of a entitled and elitist punk and like looking at them saying like you're the couple that claimed your your baby was the messiah <laughs> and uh there would have been a lot of people who never believed them their whole lives even after jesus did all the miracles because we see jesus's life in his in his ministry and how many people didn't believe they still didn't believe even after peter preached and thousands came to christ but not everybody did and so all these folks would have been, uh, it's a mixed bag of reactions. And I think that's super relatable for us. There are things that we do that you might be pure in heart before the Lord and other people are giving you the side eye and uh, they're judgmental about it. And perhaps that just lingers for a little season, but perhaps it lingers your whole life. I'm not sure, uh, but I wanna encourage you to again, walk in the steps of Joseph and Mary who, to the best we know, they were faithful. They lived this out well. And, and as they did, I wanna encourage us to as well, no matter what might be um, thrown our way, different accusations, both from the, the enemy, Satan, as well as our own, our own friends and family or others. So here in this passage, we see, we wanna know others well as Christ knows us, and he lived among us. We wanna seek the Lord with endurance uh, during a season of uh, large decision-making, right? Don't, don't go hasty. You can always wait. I mean, just, well, almost always wait. I guess there are scenarios that are kind of like extra urgent, but God will walk with you in those. And then no matter what you might walk in, continue to uphold integrity and uh, not succumb to the, uh, just the enemy's temptations and lies. Uh, Trenton, you and the team can come up here to lead us in this last song. As they're, as they're, as they're getting ready, in the last two weeks, we've studied Mary and Joseph. And just kind of bringing you in on my own personal study, I have a deeper appreciation for those two Mary and Joseph, that I didn't even know I needed to have. I was describing this to Lynn last night, and, and I was telling her how 
I just find it so interesting that all these years, I've read this story, Mary and Joseph, yeah, all right, the baby and all. And, and yeah, they're awesome in their own ways, but I've never really paused to realize how much would have been going on in their lives. And in some ways, they're a little bit like uh, spiritual parents and that they're the parents of, Joseph, of Jesus and, and uh, we can learn from their example in certain ways. And I look at their lives here and I see their integrity and I see their faithfulness and I see their devotion to the Lord. And I find myself saying, I wanna be like Mary and Joseph. I didn't realize how incredible they were. I didn't, I, I, in fact, I, I didn't even, I just kind of thought, well, if anyone's in that spot, you're gonna respond faithfully. You know, if an angel shows up, you'll be like, wow, okay, yeah, I'll listen. But I think as I've gotten to know myself and uh, pastoring is kind of giving me a front row view into the lives of people who love the Lord, but still f- have to have some major battles they push through. These two guys, these two, Mary and Joseph, how amazing. They didn't crack under all the pressure, and a lot, of, a lot of people tend to. So let's allow their lives and their devotion to the Lord to be an example for us this Christmas season. All right, let me pray for us.